This is Ryan Cruz from CultureCast Radio, and you're listening to the 4D Podcast Network. Michael Malone, and I have such a great episode for you today. I'm kicking off Pride Month with my guest today, Lee Wind. Lee is an award-winning blogger and author of the books Queer is a $5 Bill and No Way, They Were Gay. That last one I just mentioned is his most recent work, and it showcases some of the biggest names in history like Abraham Lincoln, Michelangelo, Gandhi, And it tells the story of their hidden homosexual relationships and lifestyles that have been erased from the history books. It's absolutely fascinating. Lee spent most of his childhood closeted. He didn't come out to his family and friends until he was in his mid-20s. So he wanted to write books that were targeted towards children who felt like he did and wasn't sure if it was okay to feel like he did. His goal is to create something that would have changed his life as a young gay kid and helped him come out sooner and overall, stop the sanitation of the queer community. Lee and I had a great conversation that I can't wait for you to hear. But first, I wanted to talk about sanitizing history for a moment. This is a discussion that we are finally beginning to have on a national scale, this retelling of American history in schools and hopes to shine a little bit more honest light on our past and share some more stories of oppressed groups that helped build this great nation. Also, it's something I think we can relate to because I think we sanitize things in our own personal lives too, right? We, we end up sugarcoating things or try to deliver news in a softened way so that our friends or family won't be mad or upset with us. I mean, we're all guilty of it, right? But the question is, is it helping or is it hurting? And I would argue that it actually hurts your relationship more. The more open and honest you can be up front, the less work you have to do in the long run, Right. I look at sanitizing those conversations as like telling little white lies. And the problem with telling a little white lie now and then is the upkeep. Now you have to remember the lie that you told and who you told it to just to take a little bit of the edge off the truth. The problem is these little white lies, they get so tangled that they begin to weave a a new truth. And that's where we live now in America. We're all living in this new truth. I don't know about you, but I would much rather have the hard truth up front. That way I can deal with my thoughts. I can deal with my emotions. I can process things and then I can move on. Even if that means I'm going to be upset with that person or they're going to be upset with me, even if that means that I have to take some time away from that person or or vice versa, even if I need a little bit of space, I'd rather have the hard truth right up front. Like, I would prefer to do the heavy lifting all at once, way more than I want to do light cardio for the rest of my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like the old phrase of the gym goes, no pain, no gain.
Okay, so you obviously you study uh, these hidden figures that are have homosexual backgrounds or homosexual relationships throughout history, which is already fascinating um, because we, especially here in America, we, I don't, I don't even know if, if there's a term for it. I'm, I imagine there is, but like, you know, when you, when you whitewash history, I imagine there's a term for that when you, when you take away sexuality as well. I always think of the, um, the toilet seats in hotel rooms with a little ribbon across it that says, this has been sanitized for your protection and <laughs> yes. how it's basically like, but it's not for our protection. I mean, history has not been sanitized for the protection of queer people or people of color or women or disabled people or basically anybody outside like that 0.1% rich, white, straight, cis, able-bodied men from Europe. I mean, that's who history has been sanitized for. So yeah, I, I, I totally hear you. It's, it's, it's maddening. Yeah, it's it seems to be, and I, I've linked this b- before on on um, my listeners know this too. I, I I don't have a great relationship with religion, and uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, a lot of the uh, uh, the I don't even know the term the whitewashing of uh, of queer history has been to protect the fragility of what you just mentioned, you know, uh, white Christian people who you know, don't believe that or don't believe that that is a quote unquote normal way of life. Well, it's a mechanism for them to hold on to power, right? Yet, yet another mechanism to sort of maintain the status quo. If they can erase the, the history of men who loved men and women who loved women and people who loved without regard to gender and, and people who lived outside gender boundaries, then they can pretend that those people never existed. They can make the people that feel that way today feel like they don't belong, they don't deserve a place at the table, and it can kind of crush any sense of hope you have for the future, which is really the childhood I grew up with, right? Like I'm a guy who like liked other guys when I was little, and I felt like I had nobody to look at that, that ever felt the way I felt. And then as an adult, you know, I didn't, I didn't come out. I was like actively hiding being gay from 11 to 25. And when I was an adult and, and came out and started to like find out about things like Abraham Lincoln's letters to Joshua Fry Speed and that like we actually have primary source evidence of, of love. Here's another thing. Everybody else always wants to play like CSI history, right? Like they're like, show me the DNA evidence that these two people <laughs> did the nasty. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, first of all, why are we going there? Like, like it doesn't, I, I think this, comes down to even the word homosexual is really not helping the queer community because it makes everyone think that the thing between me and my husband, we just celebrated our 24th anniversary. Oh, congrats. Thanks. That our love, that that our relationship is all about sex when really our relationship is about love. And, you know, and, and the love that holds the two of us and our teenage daughter together as a family is really the same love that holds everybody else's family together as, as a family. It's, so if we, if we changed our mindset and we thought about like, what if the word was homolovule, right? Like, what I was, if we were I was just about- thinking, I was trying to do the words in my head and I was like, man, it just sounds so negative to be like, that's homo love. <laughs> I, was like, well, I would prefer homosexuality over homo love. What about homolovule, right? Like homolovule rights yeah. and homolovule history. Like we'd have such a different I, I cultural conversation. Because, I mean, let's face it, so much of it is about our, our prudity as a culture and our fear of sex and our fear of what other people might think of us sexually or what other people are doing sexually. And honestly, I mean, I read books for kids. I'm not 
I don't want to write about sex. I want to write about love. And going back to that CSI history thing, like, I don't care if there's DNA evidence about someone having sex with someone else. I want to talk about who was in love with who and, and how that might have shaped history. And we actually have tons of evidence for that. I mean, we have primary sources. We have letters, we have diary entries, we have newspaper clippings, we have hidden coded uh, entries from like Ann Lister. She wrote everything in a secret code in her diaries. And so like she, she was able to express that she was a woman that fell in love with other women in this secret code that wasn't decoded until like decades after she passed. And so like there are all this, like history starts to open up when we can kind of change our mental mindset and be like, okay, so if we're not, if we're looking for love in history or we're looking for identity, how people lived, then it opens, it opens it up. It opens all of history up. And we, we're not just talking about it to adults. We can talk about it to kids. Why do you, why are we so afraid uh, of this, of the gay narrative? Why, what, what, throughout history, why, why are we being forced? I mean, obviously I, I just don't understand that mindset that goes along with, with, uh, you know, the, the hate that goes along with the idea of, of two people, the same gender being in love. Right. It's like you said in another podcast, like, if you don't like, if you don't like gay marriage, don't get gay married. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. my mindset. Like, it's just, yeah, if you don't, you don't want to get gay, then don't get gay married. It's that easy, man. It really uh, is that easy. Yeah, because it is something that stems out throughout history, right? You read about Roman culture, for for example, and we Whoa. think of Romans as you know. It, 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 here's the thing for me for the with the divide, right? In America, it seems like we we have this uh, this negative connotation about homosexuality because we are uh so alpha here this bravado this we're you know we're we're the best we're the marlboro man we're this and that you know um so i i, I see it there but the romans had the same bravado right they were thought of as these great warriors and these incredible thinkers and they had they built an empire and you know again you think of rome you think of war and grapes and sex <laughs> you know but they were all fucking each other it was gender everybody it didn't matter <laughs> age <laughs> race gender. yeah i mean they definitely had issues of class and slaves and but but yeah i mean like you think about like there was actually a, an army that was called the sacred band of thebes that was male couples gay male couples that um and and plato had this great quote about how wouldn't it be amazing if you could make an army of, of male lovers because they would fight to the death. Like they would never want to be disgraced in front of the person they loved most in the whole world. And in fact, there was this amazing army that, that was uh, the sacred band of Thebes. And it was, I don't know, I can't remember how many hundreds of couples strong it was. And then ironically, um, Alexander the Great who was gay and, you know, yeah, he married a bunch of women for political purposes, but the love of his life was um, uh, Hephaestion. And uh, Alexander and Hephaestion modeled themselves after, you know, Achilles and Patroclus, right? These sort of almost mythical kind of like uh, lovers who in battle with the Trojan War and all that, we don't have to go into the whole thing. But what was so amazing is that the, the sacred men of Thebes were basically wiped out in a battle with Alexander the Great. And, you know, so it, it's, if you're looking for macho, you know, sort of people in history, um, the, the macho-est were queer too. 
Um, it, they didn't use that term, but if you're looking for men who love men, uh, damn, yeah. I mean, right. I don't know that that's really the, the, my, my role model. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a similar uh, gay arm. It's uh, the Navy, you know. Oh, come on. It was right there. It was so easy. <laughs> I had to go for it. Uh, and now I have, and thank you, now I have the Village People's YMCA dance. <laughs> right. Oh, in the Navy, actually, right? That was their song. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think here's what I will say. I think like a lot of other things uh, that, that have to do with progressive ideas and unfortunately uh, gay rights and, and, and normalizing homosexuality and all that is thought of as a quote unquote progressive idea. Ugh. Like it's just so dumb that we even have to lump that in with this, you know, anyways. Um, but I, I feel like what's happening with the youth, the, the generation coming up behind me, is that they are changing a lot of narratives. And one of the big narratives that they are changing has to do with sexuality and gender and uh, pronouns and all of these great things are, are coming up with them in a normal atmosphere. Um, I was just asking, uh, we, we have a 14 year old here, my, my girlfriend does, and I picked her up from school yesterday and uh, we were talking about um, trans rights and when it comes to sports. And I said, hey, if, if, there's a, if there's a trans girl in your class, she, you know, born male, identified, was, is now trans female, um, and she wants to play softball with you guys or, or track or whatever, is, what do you think about that? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. She's a girl. Where is my generation, and especially uh, the generation, <laughs> exactly, and the generation, especially before us, uh, are all, you know, like Florida just put a ban in for, for trans athletes not to be able to participate. I think Oklahoma is fighting for that. You have these states that are saying that, no, these people, what they're wanting is segregation. They're saying they need to start their own. Right. And it isn't about it isn't about protecting women. It, it, it's actually this really cynical attempt that's, that's very organized. It's not a groundswell of people upset about this. It's it's a very calculated and organized um, uh, effort to really scapegoat this group. I mean, they tried it with bathrooms and it didn't really work. Um, so now they're like, ah, sports that, you know, th these, these people are cheating to win <laughs> the medal. I'm like, really? Like, you're going to lie about your, the identity you see your authentic self being, and you're going to live outwardly as a different gender than you actually are because you think you're going to be a sports star. Like, show me, the, show me the people that have done that. I, I don't believe anybody would ever go through what trans people in our culture have to go through because they want to win. I mean, I was talking to my teenage daughter about this um, and she was saying that the whole, from her perspective and her generation's perspective, like the whole division of sports into boys and girls sports is problematic to begin with. Like, like she's like, why don't we do it by body mass? And I thought, oh, wow. oh, oh, okay, wow, that's a really great idea. And in fact, we do it in some sports, like wrestling, right? You wrestling, you have to weigh in, and I don't know, right. body boxing mass, too, yeah, boxing. Like so, so like that actually made so much sense to me. I was kind of impressed because, yeah, because really, what all these transgender sports laws are about are policing women, cis women, and and keeping the 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 connection between homophobia and misogyny 
is like this unspoken thing in, in our world. But so many, if you look at even the way we talk down to women, it's the same way we talk down to queer guys. Like the, to belittle, like when I was in school, the way I was belittled was, you know, oh, you run like a girl or, oh my gosh, how are you? That, the thing, like the trick, like, oh, Lee, look at your nails. There's something on them. Like, if you look like this, you were a guy because it was almost like a fist. And if you look this, you were a girl. And that was like <laughs> totally shameful. Like that kind of, th that mentality, it's like, we gotta, we gotta get past it. And yeah, look at the structures. I mean, yes, the generation that is coming up is so much better than we are and certainly the generation that we're following, but oh my gosh, look at the things we've done, buildings, like our architecture, there are boys' rooms and girls' rooms. And that is ridiculous. I mean, first of all, anybody that's ever been to the theater or a sporting event and, and has seen the lines of women waiting to go to the bathroom, <laughs> right. And the men are just like, woohoo, I'll just pee here, you know, on the side. Like, it's, it's maddening to begin with that those spaces aren't designed more thoughtfully. But also, like, the whole, the whole thing that we have to keep people safe from trans people. Like, trans people are the ones that are being beaten up and killed and completely disrespected in our culture. And what I've learned as a gay man is that, oh my gosh, I'm the G of LGBTQIA2+, but dang, my job is to be an ally to all those other letters. And then beyond them, all, to women and to disabled people and to people of color, because I have a lot of privilege being a white guy in our world. And, and I need to use that and leverage that. And so, you know, the thing I do is I write. So that's what I try to get. Like, I try to like get those stories out about the sacred band of Thebes or um, Abraham Lincoln. And, and, and it's funny too, because we're like, we insist on like in that sanitization of history, we also make history really boring. Like we really like teach it like it's medicine. And I kind of think like, what, like, I don't know about you, but like basically the, the textbook my daughter had in high school to study like US history and world history were probably the textbooks I had when I was in school. Like it's yeah. all these years have passed but it's still all the stories of these rich white straight men. Like it's so frustrating. And I actually had this opportunity that was like a back to school night and I asked the teacher, I'm like, so what about the stories of like these other people? And she's like, oh, well, I have a lot of plans to supplement the textbook. And I'm thinking, why don't you just throw out the friggin' textbook? Like the, the textbook, the, that's those structures that we have to look at those and start to dismantle those because that's the stuff that's really holding back progress. Right, like you hand a kid a, a textbook, and you hand a kid, and you just, and then you have an, an email with a couple of links to a, a few articles online. Like, what do you think is seems more important? Right, the textbook. Yeah, because it's yeah. it's been printed, it's hardcover, it's in its physical form, it's there. People yeah, put effort yeah. into it. That's why, like, I mean, the journey even to get um, "No Way They Were Gay" published was crazy. I mean, this is the second publisher. Um, at first time it was sold uh, to uh, one of the big five publishers and we were working on it. It was really exciting. And then um, our previous president, um, Trump, was elected. Our, our, our they, dictator in chief. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And they canceled the book two weeks after the two weeks after he was elected. They canceled the book because they totally freaked out. They were like, oh, my gosh, we can't publish. I mean, I don't know. They thought there would be they'd be pickets or they'd be boycotted or you know, the problem with, you know, a, a, a world where everything keeps conglomerating, right? Like it's these giant corporate voices that continue to consolidate and, and acquire each other and acquire each other 
Um, my day job, I worked for the Independent Book Publishers Association and because I really believe that like we need more than just corporate voices publishing and deciding who gets to read what. So yeah, like ultimately, uh, you know, I got the rights to the book back and we found the book is being published by Learner and they're an independent company. They've been around for uh, decades. I can't remember, 60, 90 years, um, but they're great. And they really wanted it, the book to be the best it could be. And yeah, like Abraham Lincoln is on the cover of the book. And that was like the, really the sticking point, right? Because yeah. there, there is proof. And, and, you know, and I'm really upfront about it. And I'm saying like, you know, hey, a lot of historians disagree with me, but like, let's look at the primary source materials and, and you make your own call. I know what I think. I'm convinced, I'm totally convinced Abraham Lincoln was in love with Joshua Freisbeet. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't need to convince other people. I just need to, I just want an, a chance to like, let's put it out there. Let's look at the 126 love sonnets that William Shakespeare wrote to another guy. And let's, <laughs> right. right, like, let's look at him because what happens in history is that like Michelangelo wrote, you know, he, he wrote like this amazing love poem to Tommaso de Cavalieri and then he dies and then 30 years later, his, his relatives change the pronouns on the poem to make it look like it was written to a woman. And then for hundreds of years, that's what everyone thinks what the poem was. And then we have to go back. The same thing happened with Shakespeare's sonnets. You know, Sappho's poems, you know, Sappho was this incredibly famous poet back in, in, in you know, 2,600 years ago. I mean, Sappho actually, you know, where we get the word lesbian is because Sappho lived on the island of Lesbos. Like Sappho was known for being like, you know, a woman who loved other women. And she was like this super famous poet. And there were these active campaigns, like especially going back to the church, right? Like the Bishop of right. Constantinople, like all these sort of like religious led, um, you know, efforts to erase all traces of Sappho and her writing. And, um, you know, there were supposedly like 7,000 lines of poetry and we have 800 left today. Oh my but, God. But those 800 are incredible. Like there was this one poem Sappho wrote and it was, um, so going back to the Trojan War, remember the Trojan War? <laughs> so this is all gonna connect. Stay with me, Michael. So, right. um, so the Trojan War was everybody felt like the reason the Trojan War started was because Helen, right? The, the most right. beautiful woman in the world, the face that launched a thousand ships, that Helen was faithless and left her husband and went to Troy after this hot guy named Paris. And that's what started the Trojan War, right? This 10 year war that was like this, this epic thing. And, and so everybody else in history had always said that, and this was ancient history, even when Sappho was alive. And everybody had always said that, that Helen was to blame, that Helen was the villain. And Sappho wrote this one poem, and amazingly, we have almost the entire poem still with us. And, and, it, and I, I, uh, I, it is included in, in my book. Um, it's a beautiful translation of it. And basically, Sappho said that everybody else at the time also said that the most beautiful thing in the world was an army, right? going back to testosterone, right? And, and sort of male fragility and toxicity. Like this idea that the most beautiful thing in the world was an army or a, 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 you know, a, a charge of cavalry or a bunch of ships, an armada of ships. Like that was what was seen as the height. And Sappho wrote this beautiful poem where she says that she knows that the most beautiful thing in the world is actually the face of the woman she loves. Because Helen proved it to all of us because Helen left this arranged marriage and followed her heart to be with the man she loved, not giving any thought to her husband or parents, but like she was led by love alone. 
and 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 Sappho says, um, you know, that she knows that she knows this to be true for her that the most beautiful thing in the world is love because she herself would rather see the face of the woman she loved, Anactoria, flashing radiant than all the force of Lydian chariots and their infantry in full display of arms. And this poem became so famous. And, and when I say poem, she was, you gotta think of Sappho like a rock star. She didn't like write her poems down and they were printed. She sang them. She accompanied herself on a, a thing called a lyre or L layer. I don't know how to pronounce it. L-Y-R-E. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll take your word and, for it. And, uh, and she was like a rock star. And this poem caught people's imaginations and they were like, oh yeah, you know what? The most powerful thing in the world is love. That's the thing that I care about most is the person I love in my heart. And this traveled all the way down through the centuries to when they were doing, you know, the, you know, Sleeping Beauty, what wakes Sleeping Beauty up from the evil spell, the kiss of true love, all those Disney movies, then in with the kiss of true love, it all goes back to Sappho being in love with this woman, Anactoria. But what we've done is we've sanitized the history. We all know, we all believe that the most powerful thing in the universe is love, right? Oh my gosh, how many movies end that way? <laughs> um, and it's all because of Sappho loving another woman, but we've sort of removed ourselves from the source of it. And we say, oh yeah, Sappho, I don't know who she was. She was like a poet, maybe? She liked girls? I don't know. <laughs> It's so interesting too this debate that we are having now, uh, and again, it goes more towards whitewashing history. Uh, is you know this this teaching the the real honest truth about America and and shining a light on more people in the minority that were inventors and great thinkers and all of this stuff throughout history that we just kind of don't mention in in, in, in schools here in America. You know, you're taught you know, three or four African-American leaders or great thinkers, you know, we know Rosa Parks, we know Martin Luther King, you know, we know a, a few others, the guy who invented peanut butter. And then they're like, all right, anyways, here's 1000 white guys that you should just Absolutely. love. <laughs> and, and in fact, it's really interesting chapter. Um, one of the, the, my book has four chapters that really go into depth on four people. Sappho is one of them. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's another. And, and one of them is Bayard Rustin. And Bayard was the guy who taught Martin Luther King Jr. about the principles of nonviolent protest. And um, he actually was the guy that organized the famous March on Washington where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. Like it, he was really instrumental in the civil rights movement but completely sidelined because he was openly gay. Um, and in fact, there was this crazy blackmail scheme where uh, an African-American congressman um, was basically threatening to uh, say that there was a, a relationship, a homosexual relationship, a homolovial relationship. Well, actually, no, he was saying it was a homosexual relationship between um, Dr. Mar Dr. King and Bayard um, to basically oust Bayard. Um, it was really because they didn't want a protest at the Democratic National Convention in, uh, in Los Angeles. Like their history is so, like you start to look at the homophobia, but you're right. I mean, like this straight washing of history, it's very much like the whitewashing of history. It's very much like nobody talks about the fact of, of all that basically slave labor that built the wealth of America. Right. I mean, some people are talking about it. Tanisha Coates is talking about it, and we should be listening because, yeah, we should be we should be talking reparations. Like, let's make that happen yeah. because because it is totally unfair. And then and then also indigenous people. Like, can we talk about like we are all on basically stolen land? Like, and and starting to hear people say like I'm you know I want to acknowledge I'm on the ancestral lands of you know, and then uh, sharing the who who they're where they are, but like. There was this thing that was that happened where we came in and 
okay, colonization, like such an evil in the world, right? Like this idea that like every culture is eventually on a path to catch up with us, but right now they're backwards. So we can kill them, steal their land and basically treat them like they're not human because, hey, they haven't caught up. Like, first of all, like there, there's so much wrong with that and to unpack, but, but just also the, the complete denial of any other culture having things to offer to the world, right? Like we are not the pinnacle, Western culture is not necessarily the pinnacle of, of evolution for humanity. And we gotta have to kind of have to get over ourselves. Yeah, that's a big problem that we have. Again, going back to that bravado that we have as America, uh, you know, we just we we're number one, baby. <laughs> you know, it doesn't right. matter and, what you're talking about. And why is it a competition? Like, why does it have to be a competition? Why can't we just be woohoo? We have running water. Like, yay! Let's give running water <laughs> to everybody. Like, why do we have to? Like, it is it is a little pathological that we want, and and so much so that we. You know, there there is a portion of our of our psyche that we don't just need to be good. We have to be the best, and right. by and best means better than somebody else. And I think that's really problematic, and it's made us do some hideous things. And we think that we, you know, we're getting over that or whatever. We we think that there's been a little progression, but the truth be told, we're doing it right now with vaccines we have the most vaccines in the world for, for COVID and we are refusing to share the patents. We're refusing to, we're just now starting to ship out to other countries and we've had vaccines. We've had the most vaccines for six months now. And uh, we are just now starting to help other countries who are suffering like India, where they are, Oh my God, they're drowning in COVID over there. And we're like, well, sucks to be you anyways <laughs> old people first make a line <laughs> well, and yeah and and you know you you stop and you think about other pandemics i mean like being a gay man and and having kind of grown up and it just at the like seeing aids happen um you know the day i got to college was the day time magazine came out with like, their headline you know the sexual revolution is over and i was like damn it <laughs> like not now <laughs> not, i'm finally free uh but you know the fact that you know this pandemic you know that they actually came up with a vaccine it was like oh straight people are dying okay quick let's make a vaccine um you know we still don't have a vaccine for aids like I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that there's a vaccine for, for COVID and that's fantastic. But there is, there are all these hidden things that happen when a, a group of people are seen as less worthy than. And, you know, that's going on right now. Like we think that we don't really, there's a large portion of people in our country that don't care that people are dying in other countries. Um, and in fact, they don't even care that people died in our country. I mean, you have over half a million people that died and there's nothing. There's no, there's no memorials. There's no, there's nothing there, there. I mean, like even with AIDS, we have the AIDS Memorial quilt. There's something to remember those people. And I just feel like for the people that had loved ones that died in this past year, like, how can you even like, how are you coping? Like, how are you gathering together? How do you find meaning? in this tragedy, like these are challenges they're going to be working with for decades, right? Unfortunately, I think it's because uh, half of this country believes that COVID was the boogeyman, 
that it just didn't exist, that it wasn't real or that it wasn't serious enough or that it wasn't any stronger than the common cold and blah, 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 and all that narrative that was being passed around. And so it's hard to put together something where we go, okay, this was real. This, this does have a ripple effect. This, you know, this caused a lot of problems and a lot of grief and a lot of heartache. And unfortunately half the country is like, eh, we're like, okay, it goes back cool. to information though, right? Like if you have, if you have the media basically saying shilling conspiracy theories, right. um, you know, and you don't have any accountability. I mean, look how long it took for the social media platforms to, to hold Trump accountable and to kick him off. I mean, it, his entire yeah. presidency pretty much, um, you know, until finally they're like, oh, you know what? Maybe this guy is actually like causing problems in terms of like inciting hate and violence. Like the, the ripple effects of Donald Trump are are endless. It's a, but you know, it goes okay. I the hero I have from doing all this research on on queer people is is Bayard Rustin, like this this openly gay black guy that was so involved in the civil rights movement, and he said this incredible thing. And this is totally poignant because going back to college, um, I was still so closeted when I got to college that. I didn't even know that my college had like an LGBT center. Like, I, I don't know what it was called at the time, but they actually had him come as a speaker while I was there. And I had no idea there was even a gay group on campus. I was so deeply closeted, but he said this thing that I thought was so brilliant. Um, and I'm gonna read it because um, why not, right? Perfect. So um, Bayard Rustin in 1986 came to the University of Pennsylvania and he, said, he talked about how, here's the quote, the job of the gay community is not to deal with extremists who would castrate us or put us on an island and drop an H-bomb on us. The fact of the matter is, there is a small percentage of people in America who understand the true nature of the homosexual community. There's another small percentage who will never understand us. Our job is not to get those people who dislike us to love us, nor was our aim in the civil rights movement to get prejudiced white people to love us. Our aim was to try to create the kind of America, legislatively, morally, and psychologically, such that even though some whites continue to hate us, they could not openly manifest that hate. That's our job today, to control the extent to which people can publicly manifest anti-gay sentiment. Man, that was 1986. Great. And I feel like we're, that's, that's our battle today. Like, and in fact, yeah. we kind of slipped backwards, right? Like, like Trump basically said, it's okay to publicly manifest your hate. And now we're like pulling back. We're like, no, it's not. You can be a racist, but only in the confines of your mind because it is not cool. You can be a homophobe, but only in the confines of your mind. You cannot say that's so gay to say something's bad, right? And yeah, like, this, is the, this is the same struggle. And that was 1986. Yeah, we were battling that, you know, back when I lived in Indiana for a while. And, you know, we we had the pleasure of having Mike Pence as our <laughs> as our leader. And when I was living there, we were going through the idea of uh, can gay people eat cake at their wedding? Are they can you sell a gay person a cake? <laughs> can you are they allowed to have pizza? And I'm like, and my argument, I was doing this on stage for a while. I'm like, like telling gay people they can't have pizza at their wedding. You've never been to a gay wedding then. <laughs> I had a gay wedding. We did not pizza. Um, but also being a gay guy that got married, like the last place I would want to buy a cake is a is a place that didn't want to bake me one. Like they're gonna spit in the batter. Let's be real. Like they're yeah. not gonna bring. 
it is like like the secret ingredients of baking is love right like if they're not bringing love to the to the thing like i'm not interested like i'm it's not like, buying their kids it's, it's like in the drive through and they're like we got a, a burger for a cop <laughs> you're like oh that's getting spit on <laughs> That's great. Well, I think I think you're on the right path, though. I think the 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 answer is the youth. Of course, the answer is always the youth, right? It's always what happens next. It's always the future. That's the de the default. But in this case, in this scenario, I think it's actually true this time. I think that we are actually the again the generation coming up after me is is really really open-minded, really progressive uh, when it comes to gender, sexuality, race, all of these things. And we're already seeing people uh, in, in between our, our generations, like the 25-year-olds who are not getting married, who are not buying houses, who are not attaching themselves to Christianity, um, you know, not, not anchoring themselves like, like before and stuff like this. So we're already seeing these changes start to take place. And I think again, we're going to get another wave of big change happening. And I think one of the major things that needs to happen is taking away that whitewashing, that, that straight washing uh, away from, from history. How do, how do we do that? How do we, you know, they're fighting it so hard right now, even with the idea of like, hey, let's tell the truth about America. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> We're the greatest. Christopher Columbus. <laughs> like, truth is a best. very fuzzy word. No, it's actually really not. It's like, well, right. I mean, here's the thing. Like people have their own versions of truth, right? Um, yes. But, but that's why I'm like, put aside the hundreds of years of historians and look at the primary sources. You know, yeah, yeah. Because I, th I, I think it's so important because these, you know, the, these oppressed groups, right? Uh, minorities in the gay community, they, they, all they, they just want to be seen. They just want to be heard. They just want a seat at the fucking table at the end of the day. And why is that so hard for us to do? And I, I mean, think this, it's really easy to just pull another chair up to the table. Like, yes. Like, build a bigger table. Like it, it isn't, it isn't a zero sum game. And that goes back to the, the thing that like, I think a lot of people that have power are afraid they're going to lose power because, oh, if we give access to other people. And I think that's really, this, it's this weird zero sum mentality. Like, Michael, if you have a really popular podcast, it doesn't take anything away from somebody else's podcast. It's actually great. Like, because people are like, man, I love podcasts. What's the next great thing I can listen to? Right. And it's like books too. Like, I don't think people are in competition when they write books in the same genre. It's actually because somebody's going to finish that book and love it. And they're going to want the next book. Like we have this weird idea that there's only so much pie, bake some more friggin' pies, but you know, get it from a baker that isn't like a homophobe. <laughs> I, you know, and that's something that I personally struggle with too, you know, being a comic for so, you know, I've been a comic for 20 years now and so I'm bitter as fuck. And, uh, you know, when my friends and stuff get Conan, I'm, you know, I'm sitting at home being like, fuck, and they got, I can't believe they got Conan and I'm sitting here. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh, that doesn't mean that I can't also get a spot on go. <laughs> you know, we have this idea of like the success of others is somehow a, a direct attack on our goals or our lives. And it's like, no, you could do that too. You just, right. It's actually the opposite, right? Like with the success of people around you, yes, you're getting closer to more. success. Yeah. Yes. It's this abundance mentality rather than this sort of like, like scarcity mentality. And just to go back for a second to this idea that like, that like the younger generation are going to be the saviors of all, it doesn't give the rest of us a free pass. 
But no, no, we, we definitely have to do the work. Yeah, because because it's a little intimidating to for them to hear us be like, you got to save us. We fucked it all up, you know, <laughs> your turn. It's sorry about the polluted water and the air you can't breathe and like, you know, all the injustice, but we know that you'll fix it. Like, no, we got to We got to do our bit, right? Like we got to listen to them and empower them, but we have to start to do some of the heavy lifting. And some of it's really easy. There are some little simple things that we can all do. Like, hey, put your pronouns after your name in your email signature. And that like, right. lets everybody know that you, first of all, that you know that you can't assume other people's gender just by seeing their name or their photo. And that you acknowledge that there are people that might have pronouns or gender identities that are different than what other people might assume. And also that you're an ally to those people. Like it does so many things and it's the littlest thing and it, it can have a really big ripple impact. You know, I, it's interesting you brought that up because I was just talking, um, you know, I, I used to, I, I was hosting a show there, a, a political panel show for a while. We brought two people from the left, two people from the right, and we tried to come together on, on resolutions. Some of them funny, some of them real, you know. Um, but one of the narratives that I heard from people on the right was the overcorrection, where they get stuff jammed down their their throats, you know, this idea of pronouns and and gender and all this stuff. It's it's like, yeah, that's great. Like if you identify as female or male, what like great, gotcha. I will I will do that. I'll I'll say ma'am instead or whatever. Um, but the idea of this cancel culture being so quick with TikTok and Twitter, where you know, in especially in, even in my industry with comedy comedians were losing work because they were going on stage at colleges and saying, how you guys doing tonight? You were immediately fired, pulled off stage. I mean, it's, it sounds like an exaggeration, but it's not. There's videos of comics being like students coming up on stage five minutes into their set and saying, we, you know, leave, you, you know, the, you, you, you misidentified the audience and this and that. So this overcorrection of, of uh, uh, allowing some some leeway or some learning curve because at the end of the day I think most people <laughs> I will say because there are some terrible people out there but at the end of the day I think most people are just trying to do their fucking best and and we need a little bit more forgiveness on that overcorrection of like if I say excuse me sir you're allowed to say oh, I'm sorry, I identify as this, or these are my pronouns. And I have the chance to correct it and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, blah, blah, blah. Instead of, excuse me, sir. And then they say, what's that? What's your Twitter handle? Let me, you just, oh, you work at this school? Not anymore. (laughs) You know, and and I think a lot of people are scared. We, We saw this. Uh, this is so dumb but even during the me too movement you had a lot of men complaining like well now i can't even talk to a girl at the bar well it was that fear of overcorrection. it was don't talk to me don't make eye contact with me at the grocery store don't do that you know like there were these new rules in place that women were all they were asking for was a little bit of space and a little bit of privacy and not to be called a bitch when they don't give you their phone number <laughs> yeah, i mean like, like pretty easy <laughs> Consent. Um, like let's get some basic consent rules down and then yes. um i do think that a lot of that also has to do with the reaction to feeling like you know is somebody hostile or are they friendly are they an ally and i right. think that, i think that the, the 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 trap is that um i think people can think they're allies but they're silent and 
here's the here's the the four one one on this. There actually is no such thing as a silent ally. Like you're a bystander. If you're right. silent, you're a bystander, and you're letting shit happen. But if you're an ally, then how are you signaling you're an ally? Like that comedian that gets up and and you know says, "Hey guys, how y'all doing?" You know, it, it, he can you know that that can be course corrected by being like, and let me also acknowledge those of you that don't identify as guys. Like you can have a sense of humor about it. I mean, there are really funny things that we can all laugh about, but, but it's, it does go back to what you were saying earlier. Like people just want to feel like they're acknowledged and respected and um, you know, and I would argue celebrated. Like I, I, I think that like we've had this weird goal in the sort of, um, I don't know, the DEI sort of realm which is like, let's preach tolerance. And like tolerance is like how I felt about tomatoes when I was a kid. Like <laughs> I, I tolerated them. Like if it was in ketchup, it was better, but like really they were revolting and like I barely tolerated them. And I think that it's a, it's a, it's a sorry goal to have as, as, you know, when we think about how we treat other people. I think like we should get to like where we're celebrating differences. Um, and like we recognize, I mean, like we're so quick to to celebrate differences in nature. We're like, oh my God, look at all those cool fish in the tropical reef and they're all these amazing colors. And it's like, you know, we have one guy wearing nail polish, you know, to, to his high school in Texas. And they're like, you're expelled. Don't you be, don't you be glittering over here. You need to be a macho, macho <laughs> man, right? Like going back to the village people. Um, so like we, we have to have a little more like love for ourselves as, as human beings and be like, okay, we, we can tolerate the fact that there are more than two boxes that people can be in. Yeah. And I, I think, again, the more visibility that we have and, uh, you know, straight washing goes away and all that stuff, I think that's going to open up a new and hopeful future for the queer youth. And especially with uh, the, the suicide rates that go along with growing up uh, in, in that community. I mean, it's overwhelming and I can't imagine what this pandemic has done to uh, a community that already has felt such isolation. And now you're literally isolating. Them. Yeah. But, but you do have the internet and that's something like, at least no one's growing up today thinking that they're the only guy that like, likes other guys in the whole world ever, right. which is exactly how I felt. But, uh, and the irony was that I had a gay brother, but didn't know it until I graduated high school and he came out to me and I was like, what? Um, really? Like, yeah, that was great. That's fascinating. How? I felt so alone. Uh, it, it's so isolating to think you're the only one, but, but here's the thing though. There are a lot of studies that show that adults if, if and the more adults that a kid can identify as a safe person in their lives, the better the outcomes are for that kid. And conversely, if a kid is rejected by their family for their gender identity or their sexuality, the outcomes are really terrible. Like the, num the, the, the statistics on self-harm and just uh, those kids being in danger are so much worse. So that goes back to the, this thing that like, as adults, how are we signaling that we're allies? How are we letting kids know that it's okay to be their authentic selves? Because look, they're eventually going to be their authentic selves. Like this is my thing about like lifestyle choice. It is such a, it's like a trigger word for me. Like people saying like, oh, well, I, I respect your lifestyle choice. Like, no, it's not a choice. Like I, uh, my daughter had really long hair as a, as a kid. Like long hair is a lifestyle choice. Like that is a pain <laughs> in the ass to manage. 
And it's a lifestyle choice. You can choose to have longer, short hair. But the only choice you get as a queer person is, am I going to be real about this or am I going to hide who I am? And, you know, there are a lot of people that aren't in safe in, in situations where they feel safe being their authentic self yet. Like for me, I didn't feel safe until I got to college. And even then I didn't feel completely safe. But like, how do we make our world safer, right? Like, how do we let each kid know that like, hey, I am a safe person, right? Like for teachers, that's like putting in a safe face sticker on your, your classroom or, you know, putting those pronouns after your name. Like, how are we signaling that we are an active ally? Because that actually can make a big difference. And, and the youth today, like there was a study that just came out that 9% of high schoolers are identifying as some sort of diverse gender that they're not identifying just as like boy or girl. Like 9%, that's amazing, right? That's nine yeah. out of a hundred kids. And I think we're seeing people being more willing to be honest and open about who they are earlier. And they're not gonna waste the 14 years in the closet like I did. Yeah, that's that's so important. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you you brought up that, that idea of choice because I think that, that uh, that word has been transferred over to the trans community. I think that everybody, I think that word is less associated with, with the queer community, right? And people are finally on board with the idea that you don't choose to be gay, or at least the majority of people are like, oh yeah, I get it. You don't choose to be gay. And I think they've just taken that word and, and put it on the train. They're like, oh yeah, but he's, they're choosing to be a Right, because he's going to be a track star. I mean, she's going to be a track star. Yeah, yeah, we can't get a scholarship, oh so. Gosh, you know, really? Yeah. Like, yeah, no. And so show, I, I think show me people that have cheated to do it, that, that are not like, you know, some like it hot, right? The Hollywood yeah. movie. <laughs> exactly. So well, they're think... on the run for the mob, I think, right? And they dress up as women. Um, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I we you know there's there's a lot of a, a good hopeful things happening in the future with the generation behind us, but we do still have a lot of work to do. And you are doing great fucking work. And uh, tell people where they can find your books, how they can get a hold of them, and all the cool stuff that you are doing. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Um, um. So uh, the book that I just came out with is called No Way They Were Gay, and it's from this publisher, Learner. Who I want to give a shout out to because they've been awesome. Um and. Uh, then the book I wrote before it uh, was actually a novel called Queer is a $5 Bill. And that was about, because I couldn't get this thing about Lincoln and Speed out of my mind. And, you know, Lincoln's on the $5 bill. And I thought, like, right. wouldn't it be cool if I could had a time machine and I could go back and tell my uh, 11 or 15-year-old self that Abraham Lincoln was a guy who liked, liked other guys like me? And I thought, well, you know what? That sounds like a really good novel. So I, um, I actually wrote it about this kid who's 15 and closeted. He lives in a small town in Oregon called Lincolnville. I made the town up, uh, <laughs> but uh, based, on, based on a bunch of towns. Uh, and uh, he, his parents own the Lincoln Slept Here Bed and Breakfast. And um, he is assigned like everyone else in his high school, a book report on Abraham Lincoln and they have to do it as a blog. And his, uh, he outs Lincoln on his blog because he finds the same letters in history that I, I found and uh, all hell breaks loose. Um, you know, because he, he thinks he's going to, you know, change the world and, you know, everybody loves Lincoln. So everybody's going to love, um, you know, gay people because Lincoln was gay. And, and actually it just becomes this huge media firestorm and he has to figure out his way through it. Um, so, yeah, so I wrote that at the same time as the nonfiction. It just it came out a lot earlier because I crowdfunded it and published it myself. But, uh, but yeah, and then, um, yeah, and then uh, they can 
get to my website, it's leewin.org. I actually have a really fun quiz. You know those BuzzFeed quizzes that are like- I failed your quiz. So oh, yeah. Bad. I wanted to tell you this earlier. They only, I, I got three questions right. I'm so embarrassed. I got three questions right. Uh, and what, and, but one of them was the, uh, the uh, Martin Luther King with, with Bernard. Yeah, I got, I got that one right. Uh, the other ones, I, I man, I, I failed miserably. No, but it's okay because the, the, those BuzzFeed quizzes are all about fun, right? Like there really isn't failing or whatever. It's like, are your colors spring, summer, fall, or right. winter? Or like, you know, like which Disney princess castle would you live in? So in the, in the same vein, just so everybody understands what we're talking about, I did this fun queer history quiz where I'm like, take these nine queer history questions to determine what are your pride colors. And it's just feel, silly and fun, but it does give a cool taste of the really fun history. And the fact that history can be more like chocolate and less like medicine, that it really is, there's some really cool things in history. I think my favorite, like, um, was that secret about Michelangelo's David statue. Like, yeah. Michelangelo's totally a guy who liked, liked other guys and wrote this beautiful blood poem to another guy. And he did a secret in the statue. I, should we tell them? Should we tell them what the secret is? Because uh, I, I got it wrong, I think. <laughs> I, I guessed it was the hearts and the eyes. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, eyes. man. <laughs> I got it right. Oh, yeah. So I just thought that was, that just blew my mind. And I know that's like a weird, like old timey expression at this point. But like, yeah, just the fact that like there's this secret in full view of everybody, right? Like right. And the David statue is really huge. And I had the opportunity to go to Italy and I, I saw it. And it's, first of all, his feet are above my head. Right? And I'm 6'4". I'm a really tall guy. And his feet are above my head. And then his body's like 11 feet, 15 feet. I can't remember. It's tall. So his face is really, really high up there. You can't really see his eye. The, the pupils of his eyes are carved into hearts, which I kind of think is a bit of a little love, love poem, right? Like he spent three years carving his ideal of male beauty. And then he put hearts in the eyes. It's just yeah. like, ah, oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, I I want everybody to take the quiz because I was I was shocked at, at at some of the answers. And again, I, you know, I, I didn't I didn't do too great, but uh, I, was, I was willing to learn more. I was excited to learn more, and I absolutely love what you're doing. So, thank you so much, Michael. This has been so much fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Home Alone. You can find out more about Lee Wind at leewind.org. And if you want to take the quiz that we were talking about, which I highly recommend you do, you can find that on his website as well. You can also follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Lee Wind. And if you want to follow me on any of those platforms, it's at Malone Comedy. Everything is at Malone Comedy. You can also now view my upcoming tour dates. That's right. I'm hitting the road, baby. As things go back to the new normal, I will be uh, bringing out some new jokes, going to new cities and all that fun stuff. Uh, I think I have 14 or 15 weeks on the books starting in August. So make sure you check out MaloneComedy.com and see when I'm coming to a city near you. That's MaloneComedy.com. Thanks for listening.